Welcome back to The Ovation Show, where we're discussing the healthcare crisis in America. We're bringing partners, colleagues, clients, and business owners together to discuss solutions and innovations that are bringing a higher quality of care to employees while reducing their out-of-pocket costs. But we're also reducing the employer costs and giving them more transparency and control. Today, we're live in the Work Innovator Studio, where they're amplifying the voice of business. And today, we're going to discuss innovations in the healthcare space surrounding reference-based pricing. And to talk about that today, I brought in Patrick Martell with ClaimDoc, a great partner of Ovation. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you having me. Thanks. So, I guess kind of give your background first. I mean, you're you're in reference-based pricing now. I know you came from Sun Life, which I did. I have to say, I've got more friends that are great in the business. <laughs> Chad Alberson is our captive manager with Echelon Risk. You, I know you're gonna, we're going to talk about ABA with Trevor Pearson. Yeah. Um, man, who else? Uh, yourself and uh, Andrew McNerland with EBS, all Sun Life, so they hire well. They do, yeah, especially <laughs> when we meet up at conferences like SIA, it's uh, it's an old reunion. Yep. So yeah, no, I started in the industry back in 2009, was a college hire, uh, was one of 25 they brought on within two years, five of us remained. Uh, it was a great place to cut our teeth doing both uh, reinsurance and the ancillary on that. So, uh, but I was there for roughly seven years, after that, decided to try something a little bit more challenging, uh, a little bit more niche in the market. So reference-based pricing really appealed to me in terms of the, uh, the methodology, how they're attacking the market, and really is more specialty than instead of the race to zero, uh, can really impact the bottom line for employer groups. So we talk a lot about impacting the bottom line on the health plan because it is, it is a top three to five expense of most companies. It is, yeah, usually number two. Yep. And so we, you know, things we can do to do that. Most companies are used to, I'm getting a 10, 20% increase every year. We suck it up, we negotiate it down to five or 10% and sure. we deal with it. Um, and that's not sustainable. So let's talk a little bit about reference-based pricing. We're seeing it everywhere. We're hearing a lot about it. What is reference-based pricing? So reference-based pricing compared to the traditional PPO model. PPO, we consider that top down. So you're taking the bill charges that the provider uh, you know, submitted offering say a 50% discount for that PPO network to arrive what the allowed amount uh, that the plan is going to pay. Instead, reference-based pricing is bottom up. So you're referencing Medicare, which hospitals are already accepting. It's pretty much a break-even cost. Mm -hmm. And we're paying at a percentage over that, usually between 120 to 150, depending on the vendor that you're using. So it's top down versus bottom up. Uh, really seeing roughly about 25% savings off the medical spend itself and uh, trending at 1.8% on an annual basis. You know, I, I think when we talk about networks and PPO networks, everyone has a comfy feeling about them and say, yes. you know, this is, oh, I love that logo. And one of the things that we realized, we did the numbers uh, not long ago, we looked at Medivy and we started pulling up hospital rates in the area, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and hospitals are charging 600 to 850% Medicare. So that's six to eight times what Medicare pays for a service. Yes. And that's when people get those bills and they look at their EOB and go, you know, a box of Kleenex was a thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. but wait a minute, there's a there's a discount. It's a Blue Cross discount, and it's, guess what? It's sixty percent off of that. So now I'm only paying, you know, three hundred dollars for a box of Kleenex. Yes. Whereas yeah. with reference based pricing, what I'm hearing is if Medicare is paying a hundred, we're only going to pay one hundred twenty five, hundred fifty dollars for that box of Kleenex. Exactly. Yeah. That's more along the lines. And then I would say nationally, you know, Texas is a little bit higher in terms of the bill charges after PPO discount. It's around two hundred fifty eight percent of okay. Medicare is where it's equating out but also the northeast is much less egregious you know states like texas california uh, nevada are higher much higher in terms of bill charges and like you mentioned dfw a simple knee replacement can range from fifty thousand dollars to two hundred fifty thousand dollars no correlation to quality 
uh, just uh, that big of a range from what they can charge. So on ref when I look at reference-based pricing too, I'll, actually I'm gonna use an example. So I sat sure. with a hospital CEO who was a friend of mine uh, a couple years ago, and I brought up and said, what do you know about reference-based pricing? And he goes, I don't know what that is, which really surprised me. And then I said, okay, so I explained to him, You know, I, I asked him the first question, Medicare, when you're paid a Medicare, do you lose money? And he said, no, we, we profit on it. You know, maybe three to 5%, not a lot. Yeah. We profit on it. And I said, okay, <clears throat> so reference-based pricing takes Medicare. And I said, now we're gonna add to it. If I could pay you 50% more than that, 150% Medicare, and I paid you in, within 30 days, would you take, he goes, I would take that all day long. And so that's that profit show, you know, that they're willing to accept it. So when you're, when you're, when you guys are doing that, how is the willingness to accept it by the providers to go that route of, I'm not going to take a blue cross network. I'm going to go to reference-based pricing. Sure. So really what we consider pushback, meaning as in not accepting the initial offer, claim dog itself pays at 125% of Medicare or cost plus 20, whichever is the higher of the two, right? So we are willing to uh, extend that offer. We, like you said, we pay within two weeks. Uh, and that pushback though is really about 2% balance bill rate, meaning as in they're getting a balance bill on the back end. But since we're proactive in our outreach on elective, sometimes they're coming back about 3% of the time saying 125 is not gonna cut it. Uh, we need to uh, look for additional payment. So we have it built into our plan where we can pay out a higher amount for a center of excellence, you know, a more complicated type procedure. Uh, so we are willing to do that as well. That kind of goes into, we talk a lot about in our mastermind and among our among our colleagues about, you know, the right care at the right price at the right time. Yeah. And so you mentioned centers of excellence. So a lot of people will say, well, you're taking my network away. And so there goes my providers and there goes all the people that are giving me the great care. Who's the network? Who do I go to? Sure. So how does, how does reference-based pricing affect the providers that we're seeing or the networks? You know, I'd say what we, we consider is an open access plan. So there are two approaches to going about reference-based pricing. You can do a full network replacement, meaning as in there's no PPO network at all, or you are using a physician wrap network for the day-to-day -day stuff, the small dollar claims, right? That's how we're making the most impact. Um, we are reimbursing PPO claims, uh, excuse me, physician claims similar to the PPO already. So there's not much pushback in that. And they do like that we pay very timely and we can steer more members uh, their direction. Let's talk about the comfort level. Again, we go back into these network things. So, and I know we got into a lot of jargon up front and really kind of yeah, jumped into yeah. it. <laughs> didn't, we didn't, slow, we didn't slow, slow it down at all. So let's kind of take a step back and think about a network. So I, I'm an employee. I look in my car and I see Blue Cross. I see a name, I, logo I know. I know Blue Cross, Cigna, United Healthcare. And what people think is that that is who's delivering their care. Oh, yes. And, okay, and, I see. And yeah. I, I, in fact, I love I Blue Cross and I brought this up on another podcast. Blue Cross has a uh, billboard and it says, you know, delivering the best healthcare <laughs> in the state. And I'm yeah. going, they don't deliver a single piece of healthcare. And I think that's a common misconception is Blue Cross is my healthcare provider. They are a payment system. Yes. So taking that them off that logo off doesn't affect your care. It only affects who's paying the bills, right? Agreed. Yeah. And I would say in the PPO sense, you do have that comfort level where my doctor's in or out of network. We're really getting away from that. Everything's considered in a network benefit with uh, or reference-based pricing. So while it is a nice comfort feeling, uh, there's also more bundling of services. There's uh, a lot of auto adjudication going on on you know roughly 80% of claims, which is accounting towards the waste in healthcare. So there's a lot of employer groups that they're seeing these large increases because they're paying for things they shouldn't have in the first place. Reference-based pricing, on the other hand, you're auditing all claims, claim doc does, all over $2,000, every claim's audited. So we're getting away from that auto adjudication process, mm -hmm. but it does create a sense of 
having to re-educate members, that's a very critical part to reference-based pricing. So, you know, while you do have that comfort feeling with the PPO network, you know, your costs are going up uh, dramatically every year. I hear a lot of, you know, a lot of changing and, and, and we, we talk about the waste. We'll go to a couple of things. We'll talk about the change in the plan and then also sure. the waste in healthcare. So let's go, you mentioned changes though in the employees. So when we put in RBP, we're taking away logos off their card. They can now, we, we tell them we can go, you can go anywhere you want. Yeah. Which, you know, great. That's awesome. But now, now the employees are going into providers and do you hear noise back from the employees or the providers? Uh, you know, oh, they wouldn't accept it. They say that they don't take claim doc. They don't take ABA. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I would say, it, you know, I kind of call it reference-based pricing 1.0 versus 2.0. I'd say that 1.0 was kind of trying to go under the radar, not having their name on the card. ClaimDoc does. We are very upfront with it. We even have our uh, reimbursement language on the back of the card, and the you know ABA, for example, yep. they would be back for the for the day to day to excuse me day to day questions. Um, but I would say that overall, we are seeing less pushback from providers. Uh, we are steering more members to them, and we're also looking for better uh, quality providers. So okay. it's a it's a combination of the both. So you're not just doing the billing, you're actually looking at the quality of the providers and helping the yes, employees get the yeah, best care possible. Yeah, but in the sense of, it used to be a lot more reactive. Now we're much more proactive. So we even have uh, our Pave the Way program up front. We start contacting providers, letting them know that XYZ company is now on this health plan. You have members that are already seeing Dr. You know, John Doe. So we're coming in, we re-educate the providers as well as the members how to engage in that process. It, I would say it is important, just like if you were changing from Blue Cross to United Healthcare, you'd wanna call ahead of time when you're making your appointment, there's a change in my health plan, here's my information. So as long as they're engaging and you know involved in the process, we don't have as much pushback as you've heard some horror stories where mm -hmm. members are being turned away, oh, we're not willing to accept this. Right. They're just not familiar with it because we've all been conditioned to be that that PPO network in or out, right? Right. So it is a different um, different type of health plan. I would say we're not really seeing that much pushback from providers. Okay. Uh, and then by doing that proactive approach, you're really getting ahead of what would be a noisy balanced bill, which is the main uh, you know, touch point or issue in uh, reference-based pricing because in a traditional inpatient ER setting, in a, and even in a PPO, you're already being balanced billed roughly 30 to 40% of the time. Mm. So they're assuming that, well, if balanced billing it is, is it already an issue? I'm already having that done. It's just gonna be even greater in a reference-based pricing system, which it's not. But I will admit there can be some sticker shock on a balanced bill if it is a, a higher amount than just the two, $300 you're used to paying. But now you actually have a member advocate who's gonna help negotiate that balanced bill on your behalf. You know, we talked to a pro I talked to a prospect not long ago, a school in East Texas, and they they put in reference based pricing and and but basically, you know, it was one of those things where the broker said, Hey, look, you're gonna save twenty five percent, put it in there, and yeah. then said, Go for it. Good luck. Yeah, yeah good luck. And, <laughs> and so of course they hated it. They had a lot of issues and so on. Um, so I think communication and really being involved with the employer. Oh yes. So talk about your involvement with the employer as far as not not just initiating and putting it in the beginning, but then you know the, for the year long and the next year. And how do you guys handle that administration throughout the year? Yeah. So we have a dedicated implementation team that works alongside account management. Once a group is sold, uh, what that process is going to be is getting everyone on the phone having a good conversation, making sure everyone understands the new uh, plan that we're implementing. But more importantly, it's approaching the employees who are the biggest crux of the issue. If they don't understand it, it's not gonna be successful. So yep. uh, really we do, uh, you know, your traditional marketing information, education in terms of flyers, 
you know, things in the break room, but we also have uh, employee educational videos that are fifth grade understanding cartoons within five minutes, even explain what an EOB is to what to do with the balance bill. So there is that re-education process. Um, and I would say with our paved the way, reaching out to these doctors ahead of time, lessens the chance of any issues when, if you weren't paying attention during open enrollment meetings. And yeah. <laughs> as you and I know what, maybe someone looks at their their benefit package for maybe five minutes. Yeah. So really it, it's waiting till healthcare happens a lot of the times for some of these groups to understand how it really works. Um, but really um, we try to pose it as you can go where you'd like. It's up to you. If you want to still go to your same doctor, that's fine. If your doctor isn't willing to accept, we will help steer you to another provider uh, that you know is friendly with reference-based pricing. Okay, and we talk a lot about claim doc, but looking at RBP just sure. in general, because um, we do, you know, there are other people doing, um, you know, RBP like six degrees, ELAP, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and you guys um, being proactive. I know this from experience. Being proactive, going in and saying, "Hey, w w you're having a baby. You're going to have the knee surgery. We have that opportunity to go in and s negotiate ahead of time what we're going to pay." Um, but what happens when we go to somebody like, and I know for a fact, Baylor Scott and White is very, they're hard to get in, into RBP. They're fine on the proactive side, but when it's reactive, somebody had a heart attack, goes to the ER, now there's this yeah. huge bill. How do you how do you handle that and negotiate that? Because that is one of the pushbacks we see from employers going, the balance bills from like Baylor Scott and White are ridiculous and they're not willing to negotiate, it seems like. Yeah, I would say that there are some providers that can be more uh, litigious, you know, really pushing back on it. Overall, I would say Baylor Scott and White has been pretty open to RBP. There have been some cases where with that proactive approach, we get single patient agreements up front. Okay. So we prevent that balance bill. But like what you're talking about, it's emergency setting. Luckily, that's 10 to 15 percent of claims. So right. it's not happening as often, but it can be noisy. So really what they would do in that setting is call in to claim doc. A member advocate would take over in that setting or just an RBP in general. Member advocacy is a big component of this plan. So you call in, you have someone who's going to negotiate that balance bill on your behalf, which I think you're already seeing though with the No Surprise Act. Right. Uh, they're creating more mediators, they're realizing that these uh, balance bills are substantial. And you know, especially if it was air ambulance, for example, uh, that can be an egregious bill, which we've yeah. actually had a lot of success with air ambulance uh, in, in general. It's kind of more so, okay, you got us. We You don't have to pay that $30,000 liftoff right. fee. Uh, we'll, we'll accept a lower amount. So, you know, really the, the other benefit to them is while you, in that traditional PPO setting, right? Emergency, someone has a heart attack. They're responsible for that, that balance bill on their own. You have less than about 5% collection rate in full if it's over a $1,000 balance bill from an employee. So in the PPO setting, especially with high deductible health plans, they're chasing after members. Right. So what they're gonna end up doing is sending that to collections, collecting pennies on the dollar, versus accepting a lower reimbursement from RVP, and we pay you within two weeks. Not only that, we'll help steer more members and more volumes to your facilities. Okay, so are you, are you guys doing any direct contracting too built into that? We are uh, some, yeah, you are looking for safe harbors in certain markets, but also we're not looking to uh, be a PPO, right? Right. So yeah, you do look for anchor facilities that are willing to accept. Um, but we're not looking to contract with everybody in the market. Okay. So yeah, and definitely we are looking for better quality providers, lower readmission rates, chance of infection, you know, hack, you know, uh, hospital acquired condition, or certain things that we're looking to avoid. Okay. I know with our in RBP, you know, you guys are handling the claims, you're adjudicating those claims, but there's still, you know, there's an administrative TPA or administrator. Mm -hmm. that has to pay those claims. And yes. So are you finding the TPAs are receptive to working 
on RBP or doing RP? Are TPAs doing it themselves or are they all contracting it out? How, how's that relationship with the TPAs? I've heard good and bad on, on both of those ends that they think they can handle it and it might be too much. Then there's also some that take that direct uh, contracting route. Okay. and really understand that. I would say it's a good combination of the of both, but there are a lot of independent TPAs, which is, you know, one thing you need to consider. Uh, you know, we're not working with the ASO, Bucas of the world. We're working with more independent TPAs uh, who really understand this. And I know there are several that it's accounting for about 70, 80% of their new business. So it, it is a, a strategy that's working for a lot of TPAs. Uh, and then they're also incorporating maybe on their end concierge, yeah. Uh, because another thing that's evolved into reference-based pricing is you can do dual option. So you can have a PPO network like Cigna next to RBP uh, and kind of have best of both worlds. So in that situation, we do kind of recommend, you know, the one throat to choke with the concierge. So yep. you can funnel everyone in there and then warm transfer out if you need to. So then somebody, yeah, so, so you go to a provider and you pay them, I don't know, 160, 200% Medicare. Mm -hmm. And they go, yeah, but no, we don't want that. We want, and you say, okay, great. We're going to give you the Cigna network rate. And you just kind of back. Well, we can't. Or if you have your high, you know, people that need that network, they know, you know, they're the six percent that are driving all the costs. Yeah. They stay on the Cigna side, and then for your healthier population who says, you know, seven hundred dollars for an employee only rate isn't something that I need. Yeah. Uh, they can go into our plan. We do try to create that premium differential because, you know, we're seeing roughly about ten to fifteen off the ag and 15 to 25 off the spec. So you want to make sure you have that differential, whether it be in just overall costs or plan enhancements. So that is something that a lot of people are doing is getting away from that high deductible health plan, lowering the cost at the same time. So it is perceived as a better benefit. And we kind of jumped this high level in the very beginning. And I think, you know, most people that, or most groups that put in RVP are already self-funded. Yes, and yeah. So, and I know in fact, it's funny when we talk to employees and they're like, well, what is this T TPA and these things on our car? They don't get it. And they think it's all something new and fancy. I said, well, actually, you know, 84% of American workers are covered by a self-funded health plan. 67% of employers have a self-funded health plan or alternate yeah. or level funded. So it's nothing new or uncommon. So, you know, we're doing this talk right now. We're really kind of gearing it towards those already self-funded. But for a group that let's say it's fully insured right now, how do you is do you think RBP is something they can they can jump right into and say hey we're going to go level funded self funded and we're going to do RBP? I am actually seeing a much higher rate of that groups coming from fully insured. Um, you know everything's all bundled together. They're not able to access a lot of their own data, uh, which yep. is technically theirs yep. in my view. Uh, so they have been kind of. Uh, limited in, in their what they're able to go self-funded. Uh, we have seen a big growth in level funding itself. Uh, for that reason, you're getting away from the individual health questionnaires. You know, the evolution of Verikai underwriting yep. is, has been very big and we've seen uh, a lot of groups take to it. So yeah, roughly, you know, generally we're hunting 100 lives and up, but now we can offer uh, solutions for groups 25 plus enrolled, oh, wow. which I think is great because they need it more. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're seeing the, the struggles through everything with COVID. Uh, and, and so I think that it is great to be able to offer that on, at a lower threshold now. Well, we're, I know we're seeing a big price disparagement between uh, like a fully insured and an RBP. Yeah. I mean, it could be, it kind of goes back to the old days when they started with, uh, you know, here's my copay deductible plan. Now we're gonna go high deductible and there's this couple hundred dollar difference in the premium. Now those are almost even, we're seeing RBP compared to like a PPO network. And we're seeing, you know, 20, 30, 40% difference in that. And they ask, well, that means the quality of care is, less. I'm like, no, actually we're opening the network up. The quality of care is the same or better, but we're just, re we're reducing what we pay for that care. Exactly. 
Um, and again, you're talking about, you know, not only are we reducing the payment, but we're actually incre hopefully increasing the quality as well by controlling that. So, you know, looking at controlling those costs, if we're, re we always said, if you control the frequency and severity of claims, you get, you control your costs. So from a perspective, if I'm an employer, if I'm a CFO and I'm looking at my numbers, I say, man, I've got a $2 million spend every year. You're telling me in, you know, 80% of that is claimed. You're telling me you can take 25% off on that or 30%. What's, yeah. What's your average in the industry or what are you seeing? You know, we say conservatively 25% off the of medical spend. Um, you know, I wrote a recent group that we saw a reduction in the in the premiums of coming from Blue Cross to reference-based pricing, 40% below current. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, it, it can swing quite a, wit, quite a bit depending on the, the health of the group. Now, also, a lot of the times when groups are running really hot and unhealthy, yeah. uh, they that's when they tend to gravitate towards reference-based pricing yeah. as well, right? It was, in the original sense, more the nuclear option. Hey, we need to do this or we're not going to be able to offer health insurance. But we've really evolved into more so, you know, acting like a health plan without having that network. So we have the, the resources for employees. Uh, but, you know, for that CFO conversation, you know, compared to an average self-funded group, what is it, probably about... 90 plus percent yeah. medical loss ratio, yep. we're running at 56% wow. medical loss ratio, trending at 1.8%, you know, along the lines of Medicare, but it's made renewal season for me much easier. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, either a decrease or just holding current. Yep. Um, so really it, it is important to have a good TPA partner who understands this, isn't just getting into reference-based pricing and a good vendor who's going to not only, you know, understand how to audit and reprice these claims, but the member advocacy is a huge part. So, yeah, and so we talk we're talking about the CFO and the numbers and reducing those costs. You know, HR is typically going to be worried more about the employees as well. How do I communicate this? How much work is on my plate to deal with yeah. this? So, you know, when we the CFO is going to see the numbers, great, you're saving me money. Now go talk to HR and let them implement it. So, what do you from HR? Do you get a lot of pushback, or how do you support HR so that this is an easy transition for them? I'd say of the executive suite, HR is the most pushback that we usually get. Yeah. But it really is, it, it depends on, you know, also having a good broker who's going to communicate this correctly, help you understand the benefits that are, this is gonna bring. You know, I think we're also seeing a lot of narrow network solutions wherein people are trying to save money, which creates just as much headache for HR. Right. So we really do create, give them the resources. You know, we also have, you know, majority of RBP vendors have an app. So it kind of, you can, when members are coming in, asking questions, you can redirect them that way. And then the ongoing drip campaigns are very big. So we are constantly re-educating the first year uh, to make sure they understand this. I would say uh, for HR, it would be a little bit more, you know, there's that claim lag, right? So the first two to three months are pretty quiet. Yeah. So I would say the next quarter though, could be a little bit more work in terms of if Joe was sleeping during open enrollment and wasn't listening and just got this big balance bill, then they can contact claim doc and redirect them to us so we can take over from there. We're gonna take a quick break and get a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back. This episode was brought to you by Handle Health. Handle Health is a price transparency search engine that can save self-insured employers thousands of dollars on their healthcare spend. The Handle Health app makes it quick and easy for employees to shop for healthcare and find the best value services. For more information, visit handlehealth.com. And we're back and we're discussing reference-based pricing with Patrick Martell at ClaimDoc. So Patrick, when we ended a second ago, we were, you kind of mentioned brokers. So I guess brokers are the ones that are gonna bring this to their to their employer. Yes. Um, what is the broker's response? You see more brokers and consultants getting into this. Do you see them shying away? What's that conversation you're having with brokers? You know, I would say when I first entered the market in three years, it was more shying away. 
from either a combination of just not knowing the real players in there, but more so usually maybe inherited a group that had RVP that it didn't go well, right. or they were promised things from a vendor that didn't really happen. Excuse me, that didn't really happen. So I, I would say it's usually because they had a bad taste in their mouth from a prior vendor and, and how you can approach this differently. So I, I would say they are the key to this. They need to make sure, like you said, they aren't just going to promise them 25% savings. This is just going to be business as usual. You right. need to be upfront about the challenges uh, with reference-based pricing, really helping drilling down what to do with the balance bill and what that really entails. Okay. I, I Do you see more like our next-gen mastermind group of brokers, which is a national you know, small group of brokers, we are embracing RVP. In fact, we're really yeah. pushing that out there. Do you see it's mostly smaller boutique consultants and brokers that are doing it? Or do you see it in the big houses, you know, the Marshes and Locktons as well? I'm seeing the Martian locked-ins. They're getting yes. into it now, too. Yeah, they are. I think that they're realizing it. Now, granted, it's maybe for the larger shops, going to only be about 5 to 10% of their block. Right. But for the Martians and locked-ins of the world, that's still pretty substantial. Okay. Uh, and I think that they are starting to come around to the uh, the idea, especially now that we can do dual option down so much lower, that kind of gives them a segue where, hey, this is not going to risk me losing the group as much. They can transition, and then for their plan, really see side-by-side -side comparison to how we performed. Right. So, but no, I would say when I first started, it was more boutique. Uh, but no, we, we're seeing not only just progressive brokers, but ones that have traditionally only worked in the Buka space. Yep. Understanding that this is a solution that needs to be vetted out properly. And, you know, that is one thing we go through, very strenuous things with these bigger shops to make sure we do what we say we're going to do. And so do you see when these opportunities are coming up, is it typically a client, they're bringing you a client that, man, they've had huge claims. We got a lot of pain points we have to address. Or do you see it more like, well, no, things are running smoothly, but we think we could just reduce costs further. Do, do you see, you know, is it more of a panic move or is it more of just a strategy? I would say it's it's probably 60-40 panic versus strategy. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, the groups that's what I always recommend when you're running really well, you definitely need to look at this. Uh, this is also sometimes a little bit longer sales process. Takes some time to marinate. Uh, so roughly, you know, anywhere from, on average about 18 months. Okay. So there's a lot of groups that I'm selling this year that was first looked last year. Uh, so I, I would say you're seeing more progressive brokers really gravitate towards this. And it's a great prospecting tool for them to get in the door to talk to clients, right? Yep. So yeah, I would say uh, I do look at a lot of ugly renewals, you know, 30% <laughs> up uh, on that. But there's also some groups uh, that are just looking at it. There might be a better fit for us. Uh, you would definitely say in terms of industries, blue collar, gray collar seem to be more of a natural fit, kind of what you would align with PNC, the yeah. dirtier the job, the better. Uh, but we are seeing a lot of vertical growth within healthcare itself. So more specialty niche, you know, maybe like an allergy group or uh, that's private equity owned or also like a home hospice, for example. Yeah. So I think you're seeing it transition more into the white collar space. Uh, now, granted, we're not really working with attorney firms or high tech right. companies that are already paying for the costs themselves. So, yeah, I, I would say that if they are having issues with retention, you know, low participation on the plan, meaning they can't afford it, yep. uh, are some kind of higher level indicators to me that this is this is going to be a good fit for them. We talk about retention and we talk a lot about costs and reducing costs, but really, yeah, when you're reducing the claims costs, you're reducing the overall cost of the plan. And hopefully you can feed some of that back to the employees, reduce their costs. Yes. And then again, have better retention, have maybe higher participation in the plan, help your employees more. Do you see participation increases? I mean, we in do. Low, Pretty significant. Costs? Yes. Yeah. The lowering the cost is always kind of a given, but no, I, I have seen a significant uptick 
and the overall participation. So maybe one that was even borderline, you know, below 50%, yep. going back to where you need it at that 75% uh, participation. We've got a client, so going in the broker side of things, and then even on the RBP, we have a client that we picked up uh, what, last year. And so we went in, did a pharmacy consulting carve out just for them. We went in and analyzed their pharmacy. We said, well, we knew we could save them 40% of what they're paying on pharmacy. Turned out that came out 72%, which was wow. huge. So okay. that's kind of doing that. <laughs> yeah. And that's uh, treating it kind of like RBP. But in that group, when I met them, my first question to them, they were self-funded. And I said, oh, that's great. You've taken a good step. Do you know what you know reference-based pricing? And he said, oh, we implemented that a year, two years ago. And I said, oh, your broker brought it to you. No, broker didn't know anything about it. We brought it to him. Yeah. He didn't know how to implement it, so we did it ourselves. And so we talk about the cost savings. The reason I'm bringing that up is because they went from, they look at everything from revenue and they said, okay, our health plan costs us 8% revenue, 8% of our revenue. They implemented uh, reference-based pricing and dropped to 5% of revenue. Wow. Huge increase, I mean, yeah. decrease in just a couple of years. And then we put in the pharmacy, now they're running a 2% revenue. Wow. So it it's shows incredible. when you take control of your claims, your spending, whether it be health, medical, pharmacy, you really can have that reduction. And now their employees, of course, they're paying more towards their employees' plan. Their employees are actually getting better care, being directed into better care. Yeah. Um, so, and they, and then with that one, we put in ELAP. Um, of course, there's ELAP, there's Six Degrees, there's Claim Doc. Is there a difference between any of these vendors? What do you see? Do you, you know, are you all the same or is there a difference between them? Well, I think, you know, we all have, uh, you know, you all have a quarterback, right? But yeah. is it Quincy Carter or is it Dak Prescott? You know, it really right. depends on that. I would say that you have two different approaches. So there's what we call the PEPM. So per employee per month charge. It's a lower fixed cost on, uh, from them. They're doing a more proactive approach meaning as in on those elective procedures, reaching out ahead of time. Right. Then you have ELAP, which is more what they refer to as cost plus. Uh, it's percentage of bill charges. It is a higher amount, which is we're on a similar structure, but much lower than ELAP. I'll, I'll get into that. But for the usual, for the percentage of bill charges, usually it's just more reactive. They're not doing anything on the front end. They're just handling it all on the balance bill side. Okay. Now, but the problem with the PEPM is they don't have that legal protection. Uh, but but claim doc is a hybrid of the two. We've been doing that that way since 2013 when we started. So we are reaching out ahead of time and then still having what is called a true co-fiduciary protection, meaning as in we're assigning ourselves as financial risk for negotiating that claim. So a member calls in anything above their patient responsibility, they're not responsible for. Right. They pay that. We negotiate it. If it is paid out a higher amount, that goes back to the plan. So it's, it's worked into that way. So I would say, yeah, we do have, uh, compared to ELAP, some some caps in place. They don't cap their fees. Uh, so emergent care is capped at 50,000, uh, elective procedures 25. And then if we have that direct contract in place, we lower that from 10% to 6%. Okay. So yeah, I'm coming in roughly 40 to 60% below ELAP on a fee structure. Okay. And then we're doing that more proactive approach. Now the PEPMs are gonna come in much lower, Right. but without that legal, uh, that's really going to be on the end of the employer if it ever get did get to that point. You mentioned legal, and that's always an issue that comes up. So yeah. we talk about legal. Um, you know, I, I we don't we don't want to have legal issues, but it, yeah. it does happen. And it I know does. It's, I know in RVP it's very slim and very seldom happens. But what you know, talk a little bit about that if it goes to legal. So I'm an employee. I get a balanced bill. I'm and first I you know I, I shit myself and go, oh my god, I owe forty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I call HR and I complain to HR this plan sucks. 
and they and HR says, no, no, hold on, we'll get this handled for you. And so they're going to call you or me and they're going to complain that why are they getting this bill? I thought this was going to be handled. So now you get the bill. And what do you do next? So they signs the employees, you know, sends us the balance bill, any communications that they received. Uh, first thing we do is uh, send a cease and desist to the uh, provider. You're no longer dealing with Joe Blow. So no more You're collection doing, letters. Yeah, no more collections. Don't hassle our employees, you know, hassle the employee. You deal directly with us. So we take them out of the equation. They pay their patient responsibility. They sign some paperwork. From there, we take over from there. Uh, if it did, you know, we do have a negotiation corridor that we work within. But if we had to go outside of that and it did result uh, in possible litigation, right, we would actually be on the hook if we lost in court. Uh, knock okay. on wood, we have not. Uh, but yeah, we are, we do stand behind our, our, our process. And also one of the first things we do would bring up as uh, exhibit a is that letter we sent out ahead of time saying, we told you what the expected reimbursement yeah. was. We're paying you ahead of time. You cast our check. So now you're coming back looking for more money. You know, I would say the more common ways that you're seeing balance bills are, you know, if an anesthesiologist breathes on you, you know, radiology, <laughs> things of like that. Uh, but that's happening anyways. Yeah. That's already happening in the PPO setting. But yeah, like we, you know, we mentioned, uh, it could just be like a $40,000 bill, yeah. much higher. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this? But now you actually have the resources to handle it. I would say though, litigation, as you mentioned, it's very, very rare um, that it actually occurs. But we uh, stand behind it so much that even if the group terminated, the claim was still being negotiated. We're yeah. still on the hook for that. So we don't want to leave them hanging if they aren't happy with how it goes. Now it's all on you. No, you came in when it was under our watch. We'll handle it from here. Well, I like having that support system because I even know, even with a PPO network, you go in, you have a surgery because this happened to us, I don't know, five, six years, eight years ago. But you go to the anesthesiologist, you didn't get to choose them. They're out of network. Yeah. They're all out of network. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so then you get this bill and you're going, well, holy crap, I thought I paid my deductible already. Now I'm getting this $6,000 bill for anesthesiology. What do I do? And I'm like, well, it's out of network. So now you as the employee, well, you pretty much got to go battle it yourself. Yeah. You've got you to handle We'll try to help you best we can, but you're probably going to be stuck with that. And now it sounds like, you know, through RVP, there's no network. So now, oh, I got this balance bill. I have someone to turn it over to. Exactly. You guys are going to handle it. You're going to take care of it. And I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I would say, you know, the majority of these plans are still on PPOs, right? Yeah. And when you're looking at people who filed for bankruptcy in the U.S., two-thirds cite medical issues as a reason for their financial downfall. Yep. So it's already bad enough that you're in a vulnerable state. You had something really bad happen to you health-wise. Now you're being hit up from these providers saying you owe more money when a lot of, you know, Americans are going month to month, you know, a yeah. $1,500 balance bill means they not might be able to pay rent. Yep. So now you're really getting out of that sense uh, and going to something that has more resources available to you. We know it's something you talk about having the money being spent by employees for healthcare. If I go into have an MRI and I'm going using the network, I might be paying three, four times Medicare. Yes. And you go, okay, well, I'm out six, $800 for this MRI. But if I do reference-based pricing and you're paying 150% for that, I'm only paying $150. Yes. So yeah. there's a big difference in what my out-of-pocket is as an employee, right? Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. And we, and we limit that too, outside of your responsibility. It's, this isn't really applying to the out-of-pocket max as much. So I, and I would say, even from my experience, um, I've gotten balance bills when I was on a PPO setting and they threatened to send me collections. I said, yeah. go ahead. I know you're going to collect pennies on the dollar. It's not the same <laughs> as credit card debt. Yep. Well, what were you willing to pay today? You know, so it, it is more so what you consider, you know, negotiating this on a cash price basis on the back end. Okay. So 
talk, I got a real life example I want to, I'm going to share with you. And that way, tell me how you guys would handle it. So we've got a group, um, they're self-funded. They have a network. They have this one employee went to an out of network facility here in town. We get this bill for $125,000. I look at it. I'm like, holy crap. So I I call the employee because I know who he is. And I said, what did you have done? I mean, did you have like a titanium rod in your spine? Because it was a spinal thing. He goes, no, no, I just went in there. I had my normal couple, four injections. And I go, wait, you had four injections? Yeah, I walked in. They did four injections. I walked out. I go, all right, they're billing us $125,000. And I said, so great. That gave me some insight. And he's like, no, there's got to be, they must have added some extra zeros by accident or whatever. Yeah. So we run it through Medicare. Look at what Medicare would have paid. I think it was $980 for the, oh the procedures. Gosh. So we're talking a thousand dollars. This, this uh, vendor or uh, provider billed $125,000. So I called them and said, okay, I, I want to see if there's a mistake here going on. And their answer was, no, we bill whatever we want and we take what we get. And they had negotiated with the TPA to pay $75,000. And the TPA was very proud of the fact they reduced it by 50 grand. So I instructed the TPA, no, that's null and void. And I called the provider and said, no, you're going to, we're going to pay you $2,000, 200% Medicare. And that's it. This is what it's based on. And we thought, and we sent them a final check. They got the check, cashed it. Now they're coming back asking for the rest. How would you handle that? That's a, that's a good one. I like that. Well, you know, for us, there is no in and out of network, right? So we would be concerned that as an in-network benefit, that's great that you're out of network, but that doesn't apply to us. Right. We are still going to apply that to Medicare. 125%. We can negotiate higher if we need to. Roughly one out of 8,000 claims are paid out at a higher settlement. Um, so we would, that would be a noisy one. That would most likely be a balanced <laughs> bill that we'd be negotiating on the back end. Yep. Um, the other thing too, as well, is uh, depends on the facility. If it's a nonprofit, you can challenge your nonprofit status for okay. egregious balanced billing. Uh, you don't, they don't want to be in the news, just like we don't want to be in the news for, right. you know, a plan going uh, sideways. But man, that is, I've never heard for that. That's pretty high. But just to give you an example as well, kind of apply this. If it wasn't medically necessary, if you're applying things or we, we do check for those extra okay. zeros they add on there. Yeah. Or recently there was one where, you know, there was a spinal issue. They're putting uh, screws in. He dropped five screws worth $5,000 each and build the plan $25,000. We came back, said, yeah, we're not going to pay for that. Yeah, that's your, yeah, that <laughs> your mistake. That's not ours. So, um, or anything like, you know, a hospital acquired condition. Or, um, or for example, we had one person going in for knee replacement, nicked his femoral artery, ended up getting sepsis, was a $300,000 claim that we negotiated down to roughly $20,000. Uh, so yeah, in your example, going back to that though, that would be most likely was something we'd be negotiating on the back end. Okay. So, but no, I, I would feel, I, I've seen even, um, you know, NICU claim for triplets, get up to $1.5 million wow. that we negotiated down to roughly about 200,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that did take about six, to eight months to get done. Yeah. So it can go on for a little bit on those higher dollar claims. But any employer going, Oh, you just saved me $1.3 million. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. Okay. Take your time. Yeah. yeah. Take your time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be happy when it's all done. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So we've kind of covered a few different areas and bounced around a lot, but so we looked at the employee side, where, I mean, really, it sounds like communication is the key. So if somebody's looking at whoever their RBP vendor is going to be or wherever they're going to work at, we need to communicate with the employees, I heard you say. Yes. And really get those and ongoing and really get them ready for the noise. From the employer side, HR being a hand-holding and really working together with them to, to yes. explain it. And then, but going, and then going to the main thing, the CFO, we're talking about costs. We're talking about true hard costs, reducing the frequency severity claims, bringing costs down, true dollars, 
um, you know, almost taking from an OPEX to a CAPEX. I mean, from a yeah. plan perspective. Yeah. Um, but I'm in a, I'm a CFO and I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, I've got a $5 million spend. You're telling me you can get it down to a $3 million spend. So what for a CFO looking at this or any, or a CEO, what are the, the next steps to really look at this? You know, they're looking at their health plan. We're coming up on renewal times now. People yeah. are getting their stop loss renewals or getting their look at their claims. What are the next steps for a CFO to really focus on? Yeah. So I think <clears throat> traditionally, maybe mid year, when you want to start looking at different solutions, what you might want to be a fit, we can run a savings analysis, just looking at 12 months of paid claims to show you what your projected savings would be. So that's when it's more in theory. Hey, here's how this works, kind of explaining it to them uh, so they can kind of have more time to mull it over ask follow-up questions. Uh, it is always advisable to whoever you're bringing into the situation. If you are new at RBP, lean on your vendor to, to be involved in those conversations. Um, but really rubber me through Dan when they go to stop loss. Yeah. Uh, we do stop, you know, we will help market on the, on the back end. We do have preferred carriers who do understand, uh, you know, our contract language, how much time we need to keep the, you know, it open for over a year. Uh, but I would say that once they see those premium reductions is when it becomes, more from theory to how do we make this work uh so yeah that's generally what we're we're doing uh high level if we get asked by stop and that's the thing we get asked by stop loss carriers you know uh, wow their claims are getting out of control their claims are high what are you what are, what, what are you doing to reduce those claims you know we always focus on the pharmacy because it's an easy low-hanging fruit to change sure, yeah um, but we have a group right now that we're trying to get them to look at rbp because their claims they have no turnover Everyone's aging out of the plan. They're getting older. Claims are getting higher because of the aging of the group. And so we're like, yeah, really, RBP is the way they need to go. And so now it's just working with that employer to hopefully get them on board. Oh, yeah. And then one other thing I forgot to mention was really be upfront about uh, look at their provider utilization. Uh, have have you have that your vendor analyze that and see what their experience has been so that if they come back later and say, well, you said that this is accepted, but Baylor, Scott and White isn't taking this. Well, you can reference back. Now we told you there was a little bit higher pushback. Yeah. Uh, you know, be very upfront with the challenges and within how you're going to strategize to work around that, steer around those type providers. So that brought up a good point. Actually, something made me think. Um, you know, let's say I have an employer that's everyone. Employees are all pretty centralized. Yeah, and I'll use an example of municipality. That's one of our clients. Everyone's very centralized. Everyone lo- lives and works and goes to the healthcare in the same general area. So, can you to make less noise can you reach out to the hospitals the providers you look at their claims list and go wow 90 percent of the people see the same five doctors yeah can you reach out to them and you know really talk to them and help the doctors understand everything is that something claim do? doc is yeah i would say what you that is something we stand out and different differentiate in the market we're not just faxing a letter out a lot of vendors are just kind of notifying and waiting for right. them to you know casting that reel seeing what what bites and comes back but we're getting past the front desk people talking the rev cycle helping them better understand. So we take their top utilization during implementation and start that proactive outreach because we don't want to try to go under the radar. We want to be very upfront. You know, as I mentioned, claim docs on the card. Yep. So we we are very uh, adamant about being uh, forthright about what we're paying these providers. So I love this. I mean, reference-based pricing has been around for a while. People are just yes. now hearing about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think it's great and we're seeing more and more vendors coming into the space now, which I think is great. Um, in fact, when I met ClaimDoc, I think a couple of years ago, you guys weren't even in really Dallas yet. Yeah. And suddenly now you're, I'm seeing, you know, you guys are everywhere. We are. Yeah. So I love it. And you are working with one of our top TPAs, which is ABA. Yes. And they they kind of adopted real early on to- They did. Yeah. They've been doing it for six or seven years now. Yeah. Uh, they're working with another PEPM 
uh, vendor that they were having some issues with on the balance bill side. Uh, we already took over one of their groups and, you know, from what I even heard from Trevor, yeah. and you, you really helped me out here. Yeah. So you made all the noise go away. So I do think, you know, we you, you get what you pay for yeah. in reference-based pricing. So that that is the challenge and the appeal of the PPMs. We're already talking about fixed costs here, reducing the spend. So there is more appeal to that. But I would definitely peel back the onion and see what they're really doing in-house yep. versus outsourcing just to another firm. So, so, so I think we end this kind of, you know, realizing that, again, we're all in this together. Um, and it's real partnerships with the clients, the employer groups. You know, you've got to have a broker consultant that is looking forward and thinking about these things and accepting them. You've got to have an RBP vendor that is there for the service and take care of the noise, the litigation, anything that could be involved in that. So you have the right RBP vendor. You have the right TPA. Yes. That's handling all of that. And that knows how to handle this and how to work with them as well. Um, and then, you know, just putting all that together in a big puzzle, all working together. Um, and so I think really for an employer out there, they just need to, they need to go talk to somebody. They do. Yeah. And I agree. I even had a, uh, like you mentioned, a, a client called me direct yesterday and, you know, was asking about his broker, involve him in, we don't go direct very yeah. often, but I think you are starting to see that employer groups are realizing this medical spend is getting out of control. Yep. I mean, Dan, what is it? It's going up. Uh, the health, cost of healthcare has gone up 70% over the past 10 years. Yep. I mean, that's just not sustainable long-term. Is RBP reference-based pricing going to be the end-all, be-all solution? I don't know yet, but I do right. think it's a step in the right direction to be more transparent yep. and to uh, a more achievable healthcare spend. You know, when it's almost rivaling uh, what you're paying your employees, that that's not that's not sustainable. I think that's a good way to end this, talking about sustainability and just that, you know, control this as any other cost sign. We talk about yeah. supply chain management and that's a, you know, we, uh, in our mastermind group, we've talked a long time about supply chain management and you look at an employer and you say, okay, look, you know, you're a paper plate company. You make paper plates. What's your number one expense? Paper. Yeah. All yeah. right. And say, like, so you negotiate paper down to what every, to a penny? He goes, oh, 10th of a penny. You know, like I'm like, so I'm you're fighting you, yeah. and negotiating paper down to a 10th of a penny to save money so you can increase your revenue and your bottom line but you're letting your healthcare run wild and you're not doing the same for that. Who's your, you know, who manages the supply chain for healthcare? Well, we really don't have anybody. Our HR does. So your HR is in charge of, you know, a $5 million spend with no financial background whatsoever, you know, and, and we, it's the way it's being treated. And so I think, again, looking at it now from a numbers perspective, not just from a care perspective, it makes a big difference. Yeah, no, I agree. So good. This was great. I appreciate you coming on. Um, we'll be talking soon. And uh, we want to give a quick thanks to our sponsors, uh, Craig Shelley, Beverly Hills, Luxury Watches, uh, Success North Dallas, where Bill Wallace has been making connections for over 30 years. And of course, Work Innovators, where we're amplifying the voice of business here at VentureX Castle Hills in the Realm. Uh, thank you. And we look forward to the next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.